This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. I'd love to just jump in and start from the beginning. First, I'd like to hear a little bit of background about you. You know, where you live, maybe a little bit just of context. So as you're telling your story, we kind of know who you are. Okay. Um, I am in Northern California. I'm in Sacramento. And I'm born and raised here. All my family's here. I haven't really traveled too much. I kind of just been here. I work in a hospital in my scrubs right now, kind of just taking over a break room to do this real quick. Um, I am just turned 46. I am number six of seven kids. My parents were LDS. My mom was a member. Her family goes like, I mean, all of her family history is done. My dad's a convert. So I'm like, I have to do all of his. (laughs) (laughs) I was raised in the church. I would say I had a very good childhood. My parents were awesome. They were a really good balance of like my mom pushing it and my dad like, you know, oh, I don't have to do, you know, everything. And so it was a good balance. We, we go to church every Sunday. It was kind of just expected, you know, I mean, if we were sick and stuff, we had to kind of prove it, you know, (laughs) just like you better be sick for the day. I really didn't go to seminary. I think with the older kids, there's three older kids. There's my middle sister, Amy, and then there's the three younger kids, which is my sister, Jenny, me, and Tara. And I feel like maybe with the three older ones, she probably pushed seminary and things like that a lot more. Because I think my oldest brother graduated from seminary and my other brother went on a mission. And then, I mean, by child number six, which was me, she was probably like, you know, just do what you have to do. (laughs) It's hard. Yeah, we had a great childhood. My sister, Amy, who's the middle child in between the, the two sets of three, she had cancer when she was four. So that was before I was born and it damaged the left side of her heart with radiation pretty bad. So she was six years older than me. And as I was growing up, I knew that she had limits. You know, I always, I never thought she wouldn't live a full life, but I knew like she couldn't run. Um, we would kind of have to tailor what we did, you know, to make sure she'd be okay. And when I was 15, she had to get a pacemaker and her uh, health started to take a turn for the worse. So the sister closest next to me is my sister, Jenny. She's two and a half years older than me. And we kind of fought more in high school, you know, than we got along. So Amy and I were super close. I feel like we had that distance between us where there wasn't any competition. So she was my bud. We'd go out to movies and dinner all the time and hang out. And she, you know, was older and, and much cooler than I ever was. So. Um, she was, she was my best friend. She she got her pacemaker when I was 15 and then kind of progressively got worse that year. I still think as a teenager, you just don't grasp the reality of things and and the gravity of things. And so one day when she was 16, when I was 16, she was 22 at this time, she had to go into the hospital for heart catheterization. And I work in the hospital now in cardiology, mostly because of her is kind of why I went into that. And so I know that's a pretty routine procedure. And back then, that's what my parents told me too. This is a routine procedure and she'll be out tonight. I can remember her just sitting on the couch waiting for my mom, who's perpetually late to everything and taking her to her appointment. She went and then my dad called later that day and said that she had coded twice on the table and that her heart just wasn't strong enough. Uh, that night, we still I still didn't really get you know, what was going on. My I think the next day I went down and I took some pictures of her and I together to put next to her bed. And my dad's like, she's not going to know who you are. And so that was, it was very quick. 
I went in there and I, I held hands with her and stayed for a little bit. It was hard. Like now as an adult, I probably would have not left at all. You know, it just wouldn't have been that whole time. But as a teenager, you kind of have to tap out. It's a lot. And so I went that day on Sunday. I think we went to church with my other siblings. My parents, of course, were with her the whole time. And my my dad told me, like, you know, if she could get a heart lung transplant right away, she might make it. But that's like, you know probably not going to happen. And I feel bad now in retrospect for my dad that he was kind of, my mom was always at the hospital. So he was kind of giving us the bits and pieces that we could handle. My younger sister was eight and we weren't really telling her anything about it because it was a lot for her, you know? So the next day, Monday, my dad told me you should come up and you should say goodbye. I got out of school early and my friend took me up there and I got to hold her hand and she was kind of semi-conscious, but my dad was talking to her and telling her that they were going to unhook everything and take her home and she was going to be okay. And hearing my dad talk to her that way was so hard (laughs) because um, obviously it wasn't true. And my sister Amy, although maybe weak in body, was a very strong person. She was just like the boss of us kids and my parents, you know, she kind of ran all of us. I knew I couldn't stay for when they decided to unhook her. And I also almost felt like it was something my parents, you know, should be there for. So I gave her a kiss. And even at this time, I still just, you know, it just doesn't fully hit you. And gave her a kiss and a hug. And I told her how much I loved her. And she kind of held my hand. But after I left about 2 p.m. And at about 3 p.m., they disconnected everything and let my mom hold her as she passed away. And that was a really defining moment. That was super hard that changed our family a lot in a better way. I mean, we struggled that first week or two. She would always keep her bedroom door padlocked because she didn't want all of us girls getting into her clothes. <laughs> so my dad undid it. And we went into her room that first day and you could smell her. And it was so hard, but we really became close as a family. I had two older siblings that lived, one lived in Bakersfield, one lived in Arizona, and they both moved back shortly afterwards, and we just became a very close family. I think we realized that, uh, you know, time was short, and we wanted to uh, be there for each other. You know, there's kind of like the before Amy passed away and the after Amy passed away, and I would say that we're all very, very close after that. And that's us siblings and my parents too. And it's very hard on a couple to grieve. And my mom wanted to go to the cemetery all the time. My dad did not want to. That was hard for him. For me, I felt like, I felt like she was still with us. I just really always got this feeling that she was with us. And maybe a few weeks after she passed away, the bishop of my parents' ward called them in. And he told my parents that he had the really strong impression that she could do more for my family on the other side. Than she could here on earth. And part of me was like, it's not fair. (laughs) But at the same time now as an adult, I see what she has done. And as each of us girls and and my brothers have had children, she's been there. And in every gathering we have, she's there. I know it. I feel it. And for me, that's like a super strong conviction. And so anytime I hear that somebody has had somebody close to them pass away, I am like on them, (laughs) even if they're not a member of the church, because I just want them to know that that person's still there. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's super important. 
So I had made a lot of friends that really didn't know me before this person passed away, but I am just their constant, are you okay? Are you getting up? You know, you need to do this. He's still right there with you. I was 16 when that happened. My then-to-be husband and I met when I was in middle school. We didn't really talk to each other. It was like seventh grade on. I knew of him. We kind of went in different groups. And our senior year, so my sister passed away my junior year, our senior year, he was dating a girl for about a year that I was friends with. She was a foster child. Very, very sweet for being a foster child. You couldn't tell that anything was holding her back. She was going to graduate a year early. She was on track. She was just so nice. And she was murdered by her foster father. Yeah. When I saw my ex-husband, but then soon to be husband after this in class, we had a class together. I was really drawn to him because I just wanted to comfort him. I have seen him, you know, since seventh grade, never even paid attention to him. But now I just looked at him in a different way and I saw the pain that he was going through. And I think it really just started as a friendship that I wanted to let him know that he would see her again and that it wasn't the end. And so that's kind of how we started going out. And um, so we were seniors. You're obviously not making your best choices in life mates as a senior, but we started dating. I was still going to church uh, at this time. So even after my sister died, like I remained going to church, but there was a lot of me that always felt a little out of place at church. I just always felt like I wasn't quite good enough and I didn't really fit in. I had great friends and I had good leaders. And I just think that maybe that's something I put on myself, but I put off getting my patriarchal blessing because I didn't think that I was ready or I was good enough. You know, I needed to know Christ. I needed to, you know, all these things. And I'm like, okay, if I can do this, then I can have it. And my other friends had theirs and theirs was great and stuff, but I was like, oh, I'm not worthy. I can't do it. And as I got older, like I still just kind of had that feeling that I just wasn't worthy enough to be there to hold those positions and like, you know, laurels and things like that when we were younger. And I would kind of hang out with the crowds outside of church and, you know, and some of my church friends would too. I mean, it wasn't just me, but that makes you feel guilty when you go to church on Sunday as a kid. Like you don't have any understanding of the atonement or of grace. And all I felt was a lot of shame and guilt. I feel like I kind of distanced myself from the church because of that. I don't think I ever, you know, when I listen to some of your podcasts, I've listened to them all. I love them. (laughs) And the ones, I just love the people that you interview that have gone into these deep dives about the gospel and Joseph Smith. And I'm like, these guys are professors and they know so much. And it's like, I told one of these missionaries came by once and I'm like, I don't know. I think I kind of have dumb faith because I just don't, I don't question those things, Uh you know? And when I hear about them, I kind of just like, no, I don't want to look into it. Like, uh-huh. Not to be dumb, but I just don't think yeah. from what I feel and prayers I've had answered, like I know the church is real. So my issue with the church was more with me than it was with the gospel. Uh-huh. Things are differently taught now than they were then. You know, I feel like there's more of an openness and an acceptance of just loving. And and again, maybe it was my perception, but I just felt like I had to be this perfect person. When I was 18, my best friend, well, one of my closest friends, like went to BYU and a week later got engaged. And so she was like, oh, I want you to be my maid of honor. She was going to get married in the temple. So we were planning it. And then her mother uh, told her, no, Katie is not worthy to be in your wedding. And 
that crushed me. Like to me, that just solidified everything I thought about myself, you know? And so I was like, okay, just fight. And that was kind of when I really separated myself from the church. Like if I would go with my parents, I would go, but I wasn't, I wasn't working towards anything as far as a relationship with Christ, or I wasn't trying to understand anything. I think I was put in a nursery calling when I was 18, which is like isolation. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Very hard. Yeah, it's not a great place as an 18 year old. Mm-hmm. I eventually got a job at a hospital, the hospital I work at now, actually, I've been here for a long time. So I got a job and I started working Sundays. So I'm like, Oh, can't go to church and work on Sundays. I was still dating my boyfriend. And kind of from the beginning, I feel like we kind of trauma bonded, maybe like we weren't anything alike. And we had a lot of ups and downs, like right from the beginning that nowadays, if I saw my kids that are that age, I'd be like, you need to cut and run. Like you guys are too different, you know? But at that point I'm like, nope, I'm going to work on it. And I'm going to make it work. My mom and I got in an argument and and my parents are wonderful, but I was probably a brat and I, we butted heads and my mom's like, yeah, you got to go. So Mm -hmm. I moved into my boyfriend's house with his parents and I, I lived there for a month while I was looking for a place to move out on my own. I found a great apartment. I was excited. And during that month they lived there, things really kind of taped between us two. It was just getting worse. I was like, okay, this is good. I need to get out. The night before I left, his mom was like, you know, I think you should go to, <laughs> to him. She's like, you know, you're 20. I think we were 20 or 21. She's like, you know, you need to be on your own. And I was like, I wasn't expecting that. That wasn't in my plan because things just weren't going good. But I, at the same time, I had a hard time back then speaking up for myself and, and, you know, saying no. So he moved in. I was the one kind of paying all the bills and everything. And he was kind of like half in college playing little football and working, you know, didn't continue to do very well. I had some very sweet home teachers that came by. Like the one time I think I bought a bottle of wine, I was carrying groceries upstairs and they came to help me get groceries. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I like barely, you know, I never drink like very rarely and here, you know, they were so sweet though. They gave me a copy of the miraculous work and the wonder and they left it with me, which is still one of my favorite books. We lived in our apartment, you know, things just kind of ebbed and flowed. We had good times. We had bad times, but I felt like I was always the one that was like, okay, I got to work on this. I got to make this better. He's going to ask me to marry him one day, you know, and we talked about it, but he was just like, oh yeah, in the future, I wanted to be a mom my whole life. Like I wanted to get married and I wanted to have kids. My mom, that was her dream. She got married, she had seven kids. Her and my dad have like this wonderful relationship. So I'm like, okay, if I work hard enough and if I, you know, work on this relationship hard, I kind of didn't want to involve the gospel or heavenly father at that time. I thought I could do it on my own and you can't just say no. (laughs) So I, I just worked hard. Like it was me putting in all the work. We went to counseling before marriage. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. Needless to say, it didn't work out that well, but we, you know, kept going, you know, as things were kind of better, I was like, okay, well, maybe we should have a baby because now I'm like 23. And so I felt like, like my clock was ticking or something, you know, my parents are older. They had me when they were in their late thirties. And even though that's really common now, that wasn't very common when I was young. So to me, my parents seemed older and I was like, oh, I want them to be able to help us with our kids. Cause I'm going to of course have to work. And so, you know, they're home, they watch them. I kind of sold it to him. Like, yeah, we could do this. We're going to get married eventually anyways. And he was like, yeah, yeah okay. That sounds like a good idea. And so, you know, like, okay, let's do that. It didn't take too much convincing. I think that 
you know, I probably should have consulted with my heavenly father, maybe, or, you know, prayed about it. I probably would have gotten a different answer. I don't know. I look back now and I'm like, oh, I think everything is meant to be and, and happens for a reason. But I just like back at myself now and I'm like, yeah, did you think having a kid was going to make things better? But, yeah, you know, I don't regret having my son at all. So I got off the pill and three months later we were pregnant and I was thrilled. And he was just like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> I had my son and in October of 2001, so it was right after 9-11, a little terrified to bring a child into the world at that time. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a big warrior. But he was amazing. He changed my life. And in fact, I remember telling my dad, when I found out I was pregnant, I told my dad and I was like, you know, you're going to see what he was going to say. And he said, you'll finally know exactly how much your mom and I love you. And that was true because you have no idea until you have kids, you know, that there's just this infinite amount of love that you would do anything for these kids. And also it gives you, you have such a clear perspective also of how much your father in heaven loves you. And I feel like at that time, I didn't see that yet, but I knew how much my parents loved me. My son was amazing. He was just like this easy baby, so sweet. I was like full on loved being a mom. It was the best thing ever. I had to go back to work when he was four months old that I worked part-time and my parents watched him part-time. So it was good. And he was just the sweetest, easiest baby. I think they kind of trick you and give the easy one first, you know, and then then you get talked into the second one. <laughs> yeah. When he was probably about like six or seven months old and we were still living in our apartment, our relationship between uh, his father and I just, we weren't at the same place. He was hanging out with his friends every night until late. And I was with our son every night and I loved being with our son. I didn't have a desire to go out and to party or to, you know, do things like that. And I just felt all of a sudden this overwhelming guilt that like, it was a very selfish decision for me to want to have a baby so bad when, you know, he wasn't going to be born into this wonderful family that, you know, a father and a mother that were both at the same place ready to receive him. And I just felt really bad about that. I know his dad loved him, but he wasn't really grown up yet or ready to be a dad. You know, we kind of got in an argument and I talked to him about it and I just went in my room and I prayed a lot. My feeling in my heart was I needed to move back home and I needed to go back to church and I needed to take my son to church. And he was seven months old, so he didn't know any better. But I, the next day, I put in my notice at the apartment, and I moved back home with my parents. And they already had, let's see, two daughters there, three grandkids, and, and they're my youngest daughter, sister. So they have a five-bedroom house. But my dad's like, oh, we'll fit you in. It's okay. Don't worry. You can come home. So I came home, and I went back to my old ward and uh, that I grew up in. And it was kind of changed. You know, I was an adult now, and I had to go see my bishop. Because I wanted to do things right. And obviously, I had a pretty evident the sins I needed to confess as I carried my baby in there, you know. But it was such a different experience than from when I was younger. Like, I felt so much love and just warmth and concern for me and for my son. And for the bishop, he had just a really sweet way of wanting me to know how much Heavenly Father loved me regardless of what I had done. And that was like, but wait, I really, you know, I made this mistake. And he was like, you know, Heavenly Father loves you anyways. And that was a really hard thing for me to kind of grasp. And I don't know why, because my dad's very loving. When you came back, this is the ward you had grown up in. And I'm curious to know, did you feel like judged by anyone in the ward? What was that experience like coming back and having a baby? And I'm sure people um, kind of, you know, yeah, so I, I was a little bit older. So I was 24. So it's not like 
I was like a teenager. The lady who said he wasn't worthy to be in our daughter's wedding was in that word. And I, she was just probably like, yeah, I told you. But I really didn't pay attention to her. I felt it's kind of interesting going into a family ward when you're single with a child because you just, especially young, you don't really fit in with the young mothers as much because they're like married couples that are hanging out with each other and you don't fit in. I mean, I didn't want to go to the YSA. I had a child. You know, I just didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. But at that moment in time, I didn't care. I knew that I needed to be at church. I needed to be reading my scriptures. And to me, that was the most important thing. And from then on, if anybody had any judgment towards me, I had no cares whatsoever. I just, I, my, love well, I wish I would have felt that way when I was younger, but yeah, mm-hmm. I love that so much. So then um, what happened? As we, I was home over the next year, I decided it was time for me to get my patriarchal blessing. You know, okay, I've gone and seen the bishop and I'm ready now. You know, you hear about everybody who has their patriarchal blessings. You'll be sealed in the temple and you'll have all these great things. And I was like, okay, I can't wait to hear that because right now I don't know. I feel like, have I messed up that chance or, you know, and I had one of my friends, she's like, you know, not everything that's in your uh, patriarchal blessing is necessarily, you know, if it's not in there, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen or something. You know, you just, she told me, try to focus on the feeling that you have when you're getting your patriarchal blessing. And we have this very sweet patriarch who is actually still in my ward now. I think he's like close to a hundred because he was pretty old then. <laughs> Maybe wow. he knew my grandparents and stuff. He's so sweet. And so I went over there one day and I like prayed and fasted. And I mean, in my heart, I knew what I wanted to hear, you know, but I guess I wasn't ready yet to hear what Heavenly Father wanted to hear. I know what I want to hear. So I went in there and I was trying to kind of focus on the feeling, but instead I was like honed in on every word he said, you know, and he talked about my son, that he would serve a mission one day. And that was super sweet. And how much I love to raise my children or that how much I love being a mother. Then he said, amen. And he did not say one thing about getting sealed in the temple. And I was like, okay, thanks. And, you know, I said goodbye to him and his wife were so sweet. And I went home and I, cried the whole way home (laughs) and I cried when I got home to my mom and I said maybe it's just not meant to be he didn't say anything about it like he said that's the set in everybody's you know but it wasn't in there and she's just you know my mom's very sweet like well you just have to have faith you know and I went up to my room and I laid down and I was still just like feeling so sorry for myself and like I thought to myself there's two answers to this either Heavenly Father doesn't want you to focus on that right now. And he wants you to focus on other things or none of it is true. And you don't have to believe in any of it. And I knew right then that's, that is not what I believe. I know that my Heavenly Father wanted me to know these certain things. I knew that maybe two minutes later, my phone rang. And back then it was like my family phone. So my dad called me downstairs. Can you have a phone call? So I went down there and I could hear the patriarch's sweet voice. And it was, I could hear his wife talking to him in the background too. And he said, Katie, I need you to come back tomorrow. He said, I've never had this happen before, but there's more that the Lord needs you to know. Wow. He just said, would 10 o'clock be okay? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) So I hung up and I told my mom, I'm like, I don't know. But I just made a really quick decision upstairs and hopefully it was the right one. So the next morning I went back and, you know, he kind of said again, it's so funny. I never had this before, but when you left, I just got this distinct feeling that there was more Heavenly Father wanted you to know. 
And so I sat down and I got another patriarchal blessing, which on my patriarchal blessing, there's my first one and it ends. And then there's a small second paragraph and then it ends. And in the second paragraph, it says that I will, that I will be able to take a choice companion to the temple and be married to him for time and all eternity. And I didn't really tell him the kind of internal struggle that I had. I just thanked him and I went home and I showed, you know, I told my mom and all of a sudden I felt like I would be worthy of that, that that was something that was possible for me. And I didn't believe that before. So then I started really praying hard. (laughs) And during this time, uh, my son's father would still come around to see him and kind of try to flirt and date and stuff. And I'm like, no, you know, we're not doing that. I'm back in church and, you know. And so he now worked at a job where he worked with a lot of older people that were married. And so I think he was like, oh, you know, maybe we should get married. And I was hesitant because of the things that we had been through. I was very hesitant. But at the same time, I would look at my son and I thought he deserves a mom and dad to raise him. And he deserves to be sealed to a family. And I had to get some blessings from my dad. And I just had a hard time making my decision about it. But I told them, if we're going to date, we're going to date like we're newly dating. Like, I know we have a kid. He kind of laughed. Like, really? We have a kid together. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to keep it like legit until we get married. Because and he wasn't a member or anything. He would go to church with us for like his blessing when my dad blessed him and stuff like that. But I told him, you know, this is the new me. I'm going to church every Sunday. You don't have to go. Like I never wanted him to feel like he had to go. You know, this is my decision. And he was actually really great about, you know, me taking my son and stuff. I guess it was when we decided, you know, to get married and and I prayed a lot. Kind of, you know, looking back now, my answers, it was hard to receive revelation on my own. And I don't know if it's because the feeling that I had, like the burning in the bosom thing, I don't get that as much. And I, I feel just this overwhelming emotion when I feel the spirit. And so when I was younger and they would talk about feeling the burning in the bosom, I'm like, what is your bosom? And where is this burning? Thing? You know? I just don't feel like it was explained well. And so I'm like, I don't, but I know this feeling when I would hear talks at church that would just wash over me. And I, I finally realized, okay, that's, that's the spirit and that's what I'm feeling. And I think for everybody, it's a little bit different, but I think it's important to kind of realize when you finally feel it, what it is. So we got married in a church in the LDS church. It was the same church my parents were married in and my grandfather had built the church. So it was really special. It's like kind of a unique church that was built back in Sacramento when it was like Sacramento first ward and the whole like ward back in the fifties, like work together to build it. It was really neat. Like these days, churches are kind of, you know, made all kind of similar. And this one was different. And it had this beautiful back brick patio. And so we got married on the patio. It was like 104 is the worst time (laughs) in July. But we had a little cake topper that had him and I and my son is the little ring bearer on the cake topper. He was our ring bearer. He did a great job. It was great. We, you know, we celebrated with our families. I was really happy at this point, even like I, of course, wanted him to join the church. But again, I just felt like it's going to be a progression, you know, and I just needed to go to church. So we got married. We moved in with his family for about eight months. And it was like, that was hard. It was his mom and dad and his brother. 
And they were nice, but he was raised very differently than I was. He would actually kind of get into it with his mom more than I ever would or anything. You know, he would kind of tell her to back off of trying to teach us how to parent and stuff like that. We thought we were going to live there until we bought a house. But after about eight months, we're like, we got to (laughs) go. So we went and rented an apartment back in the complex we were in originally. And it's in this great little neighborhood in Lamb Park in Sacramento, which is a really pretty neighborhood. So uh, this moved me to a new ward. So I walked in the first Sunday to our new ward. And I remember standing in the back. It was like a sea of gray hair. It was like all old people. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get him to join this because there's no young people. It was just, but I was like, okay, well, this is my ward. So here I am. And it was nice. There was a lot of older people, but they were wonderful. And there was kind of this really great core group of young people, like maybe like five or six of us. And even though they were like married couples, they were great. They fellowshiped. My husband, you know, like whether he joined the church or not, they didn't care. They would invite us over and they were wonderful. And so at first when I was like ready to bail on that first Sunday, I'm really glad I didn't, you know, but then as with all marriages, you know, we kind of started hitting ups and downs again. And um, I remember one day we had kind of really hit a particularly rough patch where I was thinking maybe I didn't make the right decision to get married, you know. And I spent a long time in the bathroom praying. That's kind of my spot. Mostly I could be undisturbed. (laughs) When I walked out of the bathroom, I kind of had the feeling now, like, you know, you're not going to get an answer right away. You just pray, put everything out there that you can and just wait. And a lot of times I feel like answers come in time, things like that. But as I walked out of the room, I got this thought in my head that he was going to ask to be baptized that night. And I walked out in the living room and the look on his face just irritated me so bad. And I was like, I don't know where that thought came from. I guess so out of the left field. And so we did that. I had to run a couple errands and we went out to dinner. And that night he was like, you know, I've, I've been thinking about joining the church. Wow. And I will, I dropped my fork. <laughs> I looked at him and it was kind of hard to explain to him that I knew he was going to ask that. I don't think he got it exactly like saying, hey, I was praying about how bad things are. And I got this feeling. But it was the first time in my life that I had heard an audible answer to a prayer. I mean, when they say still small voice, it is so small. And it is so easy to miss it. If you're not in tune or paying attention or, and this was even before we had iPhones where you're constantly distracted. I mean, it's just so small. The only thing that made me catch it was it wouldn't have been a thought I was thinking. You know, it's just being kind of so irritated with them. And I was like, oh, where did I come from? It just, it floored me. And I knew that my Heavenly Father knew me. And he was listening to my prayers. I knew it. I just was like, oh, okay. I didn't want to push him. And we kind of just let it go. And then maybe a few weeks later in our apartment, it was gated. And so we didn't have surprise visitors. And one night the missionaries knocked on our door and he looked at me. I was like, I know you sent them here. And I'm like, no, I swear. I don't even know them. I didn't. And I opened the door and they introduced themselves and they asked if they could come in. I kind of looked at my husband. He was like, no, it's okay. So they came in and it's like these really, really sweet young missionaries that came in and they sat down and they were just visiting with us and I was telling them about my family and, you know, and Rob was visiting with them and 
maybe talk with us for about a half hour. And then they said, so do you want to take the lessons? And I was like, oh, no, they didn't on the first. Like, why would they do that now? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, okay, I will. And I was like, oh. <laughs> um, so they left. And I told them, you know, you didn't have to say. And first of all, he's not the type of person that will say what he thinks people want here anyways. But I told them, you don't, you don't have to take the lessons. You know that, right? And he was like, yeah, you know, but I mean, I might as well. I mean, you know, and I was like, okay. And I called my friend who had been on a mission and I'm like, can you believe that they, and she was like, well, Katie, maybe they're being led by the spirit. Have you ever thought of that? And I was like, okay, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they came over for their first lesson. This was back in 2003. So they were still using like the flip book and things like that. I mean, lesson one, I don't even remember. It was basically about kind of like a rough, Thing of the plan of salvation and a little bit of Joseph Smith. And then, you know, they, they summed it up pretty quick and they were like, so do you want to get baptized? And again, I was just like, oh my gosh, did they just get here? I <laughs> can't, they just came straight from the MTC. <gasps> and I was just like, this is like a path to destruction. This is not going to work. And he was like, yeah, all right, I'll get baptized. I just sat there in stunned silence. <laughs> Because I was like, this is this is not true. He's he's not ready to get baptized. And I called my friend again, and she was like, Oh my gosh, you have so much doubt. Just please, just know that they're being led by the spirit. So you know, he worked a job where he had to work Sundays a lot, and so he had to get there a couple of Sundays in a row in order to be baptized. You know, but he was able to make it work, and he just kind of rolled into it. And my dad was able to baptize him, which was a really sweet experience because my dad is just my hero. And so it was wonderful to see him. I would, the day we got there, they're supposed to start filling the font in the morning because it takes a long time to fill and they had not. So they were like filling the church, like garbage bins with like water and dumping it in there, trying to get it ready. But it was amazing. My son was there. He doesn't remember. He was probably like three at the time and he, but it was just great. He went up and held his hand when he was getting the Holy Ghost conferred upon him. And mm -hmm. It was amazing. So, you know, right away, they're like, oh, we want to give you a calling and we want you guys to take temple prep classes. And I was like, oh, pump the brakes. Like, I don't know if he's ready for that. Like, you know, he, uh, money was a, an important thing to him. And I know that tithing is something that, you know, was going to needed to be paid. And that was a big chunk of our income. And I'm like, oh, there's no way. And right away, he starts paying tithing. Like, wow. I was floored. I even keep one of his tithing uh, slips still in one of my Book of Mormons because I show my kids and I'm like, your dad has a lot of faith when he wants to. And he did it without doubting that, you know. So he started paying his tithing. I was worried about the tithing thing the most, but it was over a, a period of like a year where we took the temple prep classes and I felt really not ready for the temple. I was like, I say bad words sometimes. I don't read my scriptures every night. And one of my good friends in the ward, her husband was the bishop and they were our age. You know, maybe she was about five years older than me, but I remember telling her after state conference, I'm like, I don't read my scriptures every night. And she was like, girl, neither do I. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so you don't have to be perfect to go. I feel like that holds so many people back. You know, you just have this feeling that you have to be, and we're never going to be perfect, but I don't know if it was just, again, my perception or, 
or what, but I thought, well, she's like, if you're waiting until you're not saying a bad word and you're reading your scriptures every night, you will never go. She's like, you need, you need to just go. As we were going through the temple prep classes, we had our second child. I had a daughter. Her name is Amy after my sister and she's beautiful. Our kids are uh, half Hawaiian. And so they have Hawaiian names and hers is Keahilani, which means heavenly fire, which describes her perfectly she's like a mix of heaven and fire she's just number two is like wild Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i remember telling a sister at church like i think she was maybe only like two years old and i was like she is so strong spirited like not willful but boy she wanted to do everything on her own and this lady in church who's now passed away she was saying you know I think that all the girls these days need to be born with that spirit because they are going to be up against a lot. And it's so true. You know, she is unapologetically strong and independent and a force to be reckoned with. And she's also one of my little heroes. So she just turned 18. So we set a date to uh, go to the temple and to be sealed and do our endowment in the same day. It's quite a day. (laughs) And then uh, at the end of the day, we got the stomach flu that day. It was terrible. We're like, we're not going to make it. But we like powered through. We felt better anyways. I'll never forget my kids being let in, um, in all white and being brought to us at the altar. It'll always be one of the most amazing moments in my life because I know that I'll be with them forever. They don't remember it. I wish they did. (laughs) But like my sister, who doesn't really come to church, was able to come into the dressing room and dress them for me and wait with them because they were about four and my daughter was about one and a half at the time. So I was glad that she got to to do that. And seeing all these people show up for us in our ward, all the old people (laughs) and all the younger people were there. It just gave me a little picture of what heaven's going to look like one day. It was wonderful. We were sealed in the temple and it was amazing. I felt like, you know, things were just going really well. And we decided to buy a house. We bought a house about eight houses away from my parents, which was great because my parents are super like non-intrusive, but always willing to help. Uh, My kids can run over there whenever they want. And it was just a really great place to buy. And a year after that, we welcomed our third son, Nicholas. Going from one child to two was really crazy. It was kind of just threw my world off. Going from two to three was very easy. He just kind of rolled in with the chaos. And he was just this easygoing baby that was wonderful. And I remember at that point just feeling so happy. Like, if this is my happy ever after him, it's great. You know, I'm ready for it. But Heavenly Father has plans for us that uh, I don't think we foresee in I don't think happily ever after comes in your (laughs) thirties as our kids got older and, you know, we're both working and he had a really hard job uh, working in the law, you know, working with kind of the worst of the worst people, it takes a toll on you and, and your spirit. And I think that was very hard for him to separate, you know, work and home and, and not just that changed him a lot. And, you know, it was, it was hard for him and I tried my best to continue and, I want to say that like, that was our happily ever after, but I also don't think that we have like a sad story either. I remember sitting in church one Sunday and just like feeling like I was the only one in there having problems. 
And I know that's not true. Now, of course, nobody posts their problems on social media or on the word bulletin, right? <laughs> but you just look at all these perfect families and you feel so alone. I prayed and I tried and I prayed and I tried and it just got to a point where I just felt like I couldn't anymore. You know, I, I never wanted to get a divorce ever, ever, ever. I tried, we tried counseling several times, but it, there came to a point when, when my son was about 15 that I knew that I had to set an example for him, that there are certain things that are acceptable and certain things that aren't. And he was old enough to see what was going on. And so I told my then husband, you know, I think that you need to move out and we need to work on things separately. And if you go to church and, you know, let's work on it. You know, you can keep going to church. We'll go to church together. We'll meet up there on Sundays. I come over all the time, see the kids, let's keep working on it. And he moved out and he did not take his church clothes with him. And when I saw that, I knew that he was done. And I was so angry. <laughs> it had just been a really bad last year with just a lot of chaos and hurt in it. And I was trying really hard to protect my kids from that. I was so mad at him, but I wanted him to come over and see my kids. And when he would come over, I would just, I felt like lasers were coming out of my eyes. <laughs> I prayed a lot and I kept praying like, how am I going to do this? This is his fault. Why am I feeling this way? Why do I have to be nice? You know? And I kept getting the answer from Heavenly Father that I needed to be kind. And I was like, okay, I'm going to come back to you again and see if that's your same answer because that's not fair. <laughs> but that made a huge difference in our home. When I would be kind to him, it made everything so much easier for my kids. And that was my goal. My goal was to make this as easy on them as possible. I didn't want them. They were already hurting so much. I wanted him to come over, uh, you know, come over every day if you want and and be with your kids here. He moved in with his mom. And, and again, it's not, he didn't grow up in a super loving environment. My kids didn't want to go over there. And so I said, come here and I can go in my room or we can hang out together or whatever. There had been so much that happened that caused so much pain in me that it was really hard for me to be kind, but I knew without a doubt that that was my job. And that was hard. That was, it's, it's still hard. And so we're, we've been divorced now for seven years. There are days where I have to go in and just kneel in prayer for like an hour and be like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I need your help. And I couldn't have done it without Heavenly Father's help. I couldn't have been kind. I mean, there's times where I tell him to get up and leave. And then there's times where I'm like, you know, and then he'll kind of come back and say, he's sorry for all the things that went wrong in our marriage. I think that we both tried to make an effort to parent the kids together. I mean, we still will go out to dinner together. We'll go to the movies together with the kids. We'll take the kids to the mall together. I think we do a lot better job than some people because people would maybe see us and think that we are together because we're being nice to each other, <laughs> but we're not. You know, I guess at the end of it, when I was writing to, I was thinking that all of that, it seems so sad. But when I look back at it now, I see something beautiful in what happened. I see that this miraculous miracle happened where he accepted the gospel so fully. He embraced it so quickly. He did everything he could to get our family to the temple and to be sealed. 
And even if it was only for a short time in this life that he accepted the gospel, that was enough to get our family sealed together forever. I told them, even if he remarries or I remarry, we will always be a family sealed because your dad accepted that gospel for that time. And I will always be thankful for that. And I think that that's helped my kids with a divorce, you know, also when we were both parenting and he kind of had fallen away from the church a little bit, it was hard for me to implement things like family prayer or, you know, and so now being on my own, I can implement whatever I want. (laughs) So Emily Bell Freeman, I think she challenged people before the fall general conference to set a timer on your phone and say a prayer, or I think she said set a timer every night that you're going to say a prayer before conference comes and that you will receive answers to your prayers during conference. So I did that. I think it was her and the sisters in Zion that did that. So I did that, said it every night. And I told my kids, we're going to do this together. And I usually make my kids, now they're 17 and 13. I said, we're going to do this every night. And they're just like, why? And I'm like, okay, because this is what we're going to do. So we did that. And I feel like I really did get answers to my prayers from conference. And then after that, I'm like, you know what? This works. And so I set my alarm every night for about, um, depending on what time, like I have kind of late schedules. So let's say 9.45. By this time, everybody's home from their various things. And we're going to sit down and we're going to say a family prayer every night. And then I kind of slipped in. We're going to also read a page of the book more minute. <laughs> and sometimes I slip in a chapter. And other times they're like, can we read? Because they know that they'll just read the one page. But I mean, I always have my phone on me. Everybody does. And it's been this great way to bring the spirit into our home. Love that. Yeah, that was like, I, I love that. It, it helped so much because I'm terrible about remembering things. And then, you know, COVID hit which was terrible for everybody. I feel like going to Zoom church every Sunday at 9 a.m. was just not happening. If I woke up for it and the kids, we'd like drag out of bed and we're watching it in our sleep and we would nod off and it just wasn't the same, you know? And I just, I'm so awed by President Nelson's prophecy to start the learning at home beforehand. But I still didn't do that every week like I should. We had the manual and we worked on some of it, but it was really hard. It was super hard emotionally on my two kids that were in school, being away from their friends for a year and a half here in California. Like we were shut down. They did at home school for my daughter. It was half of her freshman year and all of her sophomore year. For my son, it was half of his fifth grade year and the rest of his sixth grade year. And those are really formative years of making friends. And so it was really difficult. You know, we didn't make it to Zoom, and and I felt like we we almost went inactive for a little while, even though we weren't. But Mm -hmm. we had these wonderful missionaries that came by one day. They were a little bit older than, like, your normal, like, right out of 18, you know, out of high school missionaries. And these guys were so sweet. My son, because the gym was closed, my oldest son now is, like, 19 at this time. He was, like, created this big gym in the garage. So him and his friend are like, yeah, we're going to still work out every day because that was his life goal then. The missionaries came over and they were like, oh, he works out. I'm like, yeah, come over and work out with them. I'm like anytime you want. And they're like, really? Can we? And I'm like, oh, yeah, go ahead. So when they were leaving, I told my son, hey, they're coming to work out with you tomorrow at three. So be ready. And he was like, what, what am I going to talk to them about? And I'm like, I don't know. They're your age. Like, you know, it shouldn't be that hard. And I don't think he was super pleased. But um, the next day they came over 
And they came over every week, uh, several days a week, every week after that. And what I didn't know is the first day they came over, they asked him, why aren't you on a mission? And he said that that was the first time that he was like, why am I not on a mission? And it really kind of challenged his thinking. And we formed the best relationship with these missionaries. I just feel like there's some missionaries that are meant to come to your home. And the first ones came and they baptized his dad. And the second ones came and they reactivated our testimony and our spirit. And my son told me that he was going to go on a mission. And I was like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> because he was a ladies man. He liked to date. <laughs> and he loved the gym. And so I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> he worked really hard for a year preparing himself. This, let's see, this last September, he finally got his mission call. And he was called to the Wellington, New Zealand mission. We were thrilled because also being Hawaiian, I feel like he has this really great connection. We have a lot of Polynesian wards in our stake. And so we were so excited. They did not send him out. So he got his call in September. He had to wait until February to go out, which is a really long time to just walk that line, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think now that he needed that. And I think that it was inspired that he really needed to be on that path. And by the time he left, he was 21. So he was an older missionary, you know, as standards are now being 18. And when he first left, he, his visa, they misspelled his middle name, which is a Hawaiian name by one letter. And I didn't notice it for the first couple of weeks on his passport. And so after I saw it, I'm like, oh my gosh. So we had to send it in. And then it kind of set back everything at the MTC. So he went to the MTC February 28th. And he is now serving in the Fort Collins, Colorado mission, which is like part of Wyoming, part of Colorado, part of South Dakota, I think. And he he's really loved it there, but he will be leaving July 29th for New Zealand. So he's super excited about wow, that. Wow, that's so awesome. Yes. I know. I'm so excited. I And it just reminds me again of my, um, my patriarchal blessing that said, if I raised my son to serve a mission, it would bring me joy all the days of my life. Wow. <laughs> yes. That's so, so it just awesome. it was wonderful. And I think his dad seeing him go on that mission. And you don't realize how I mean, we see missionaries all the time being LDS. They're so common. We're like, hey, there's new ones, you know. They yeah. give up so much to go on a mission. Having him or watching him say goodbye to all of his friends and as his friends are going in college and getting married and doing all this. He says goodbye to everybody for two years and goodbye to all the Marvel movies he loves and all the country music he loves. Like, you know, it's goodbye to all of that for two years. And I don't think we think about it that much because we're so used to seeing these boys, but they give up so much just to serve us and our Heavenly Father that I'm just so inspired by them. And I think that his dad is also inspired by him. And he tells me all the time, I'm telling dad to read the book of Mormon. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, Father's Day was just coming and I'm like, well, it's not my father. I don't want to do anything for him. You know, he didn't do anything for me. And then I thought, you know what? I need to be kind because my son would want me to be kind. And my father in heaven would want me to be kind. So I made sure that he had something for Father's Day. When I look back, I just see all these blessings now. And I see where I was when I was 18 and where I didn't think I was worthy of blessings. And then I see myself now 
with this wonderfully close relationship with my father in heaven. And, and it's taken a lot of work, you know, and it's so easy to kind of let go of. You can stop going to church for a couple of weeks because you're on vacation or things come up and all of a sudden you feel that void. And it's like, okay, I need to get back on track. I listen to church talks like crazy. I listen to your podcast. I listen to things like that. I mean, I just binge on it while I'm at work and it fills me with the spirit so much. I go home and I just like to my kids with everything that I learned. And they're just like, okay, mom. And I'm like, no, you need to know this because one day you're going to hear this about Joseph Smith. And one day you're going to, you know, mm-hmm. and I want you guys to be prepared because, you know, I wasn't. And I, you mm-hmm. know, we have a really great communication about, you know what? Everybody sins and everybody makes mistakes, but you are always good enough to be in church. You're always good enough to receive answers to prayers. And you're always worthy of your heavenly father's love. And to me, that is the most important message that I can teach my kids is that the relationship that they have with their father in heaven is everything. It's going to help them throughout the rest of their life. And I wish I would have learned it sooner, but you know, you have to go through things sometimes to learn that. And so I'm really grateful for everything that I've been through. I have wonderful sisters. I have a best friend in my ward that probably, I probably have driven her crazy, but she has kept me sane and really been a great example of love and support and like, keep going to church. You're doing it. And the heavenly father put these people in my path to help me. He put those missionaries in my son's path. And I think that he will put people in our paths to help us stay close to him, to help us keep his commandments. And I think he knows exactly how hard it is I think he knows that Satan, you know, will tell us every lie that he can uh, to get us to believe that we are not of worth. And so Heavenly Father, when we do our part and we invite him into our life, he will do everything he possibly can to show us his love and to put people on our side. That means everything. At this point, I feel like I don't know if I'll ever get married again. And if I don't, that's okay. I I feel like I have so many blessings and I still have so much to learn. If I've learned this much in the last 20 years, how much more will I learn in the next 20 years? And I'm excited for that. I just am so excited that I have the opportunity to talk to my kids and to tell them the things that I've learned. And I think that the way that we talk to our children now is different than the way our parents talk to us and and not to their fault. I think they did the best they could. But things are different. And I think I share a lot with my kids. There's so much diversity out there with them, especially here in California. It's very different. Like I've heard, you know, Utah culture is a little different. California culture is a little different. They they see a lot. They have a lot. And they have leaders that love them so much. My girls, the young women's leader is amazing. She's also my best friend. She just loves these girls so much. She would do anything to let them know, like, I don't care what you do during the week come to church on Sunday because I love you and I want you here. I love that. We have these wonderful leaders like that now that just are everything. And uh, one of my young women's leaders when I was a child is now a leader in the YSA. And she was really instrumental in helping my son go on a mission and really instrumental in getting my daughter active in the YSA. Wow. It's just a blessing. I feel like all these things that are like, oh, that's so sad. It's actually, actually, it's not. You know, we've had a lot of good things come out of it and we're making it work somehow only because of the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's so incredible to see how, you know, 
everybody that comes on the podcast, everybody just in life, they do not have a perfect life. There's no such thing as just like picture perfect story of how our lives go. You hit the nail on the head with just saying how beautiful life is just in all of the ups and downs and and your testimony is so incredible. And just all the things that you've gone through and where you are today is so beautiful. And I'm just so grateful that you reached out to to share your story. And I think there's a lot of people that need to hear this. And I think it's so amazing. And you're just such a beautiful person inside <laughs> and out. So thank, thank you. you. Well, so are you. Thank, thank you so much for what you do. Your podcast is amazing. Like as soon as I heard you being interviewed, on the All In podcast, I immediately sent it out to my friends. And I'm like, you've got to hear this. I can't believe this. This, you know, you're beautiful. Like, you know, looking at you, looking at people in church, you look at them and you think that they lived a very easy life. Like, oh, look at them. Mm -hmm. They have a perfect family. They lived an easy life. And, you know, I probably 98% of the time, that's not the case. We've all mm -hmm. gone through a lot. And I feel like if we would just be a little more honest about what we've gone through that we would find so much more acceptance and embrace each other and not feel like you have to kind of keep up this, you know, my family's perfect and we do family home yeah. evening. Like my family home evening is a hot mess. It's just, you yeah. know, we try to sit down, we try to have a prayer. My kids usually end up laughing during half of the prayer. I mean, but <laughs> we try and then that's what really matters. And it is beautiful. And there's just so much, there's just so much to be grateful for in love and, and also I gained an extra child. I have to say I uh, am a mother to four now because uh, my son, when he was 18, he had a girlfriend for about two years. No, I guess maybe he was 17. Her name is Yasmin. And after they broke up, uh, she moved in with us because she she comes from a really hard family. And so she's been living with us for about maybe three years now. I'm going to eventually uh, convince her to get baptized and adopt her <laughs> Love she says it's not going to happen, but I'm like, yeah, you're going to get baptized. She's definitely <laughs> a daughter. She fights with my kids like brother and sister. She's another blessing to our family that I just am so grateful for. So thank you for everything you do. It really does affect people. There, You have a lot of fans here in California. We listen to you <laughs> and we're grateful for what you're doing. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. It feels good to know that, you know, people love the podcast. So thank you so people much. I love you and the message you're giving. <laughs> Thank you. Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, there's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.